The first reading is from Jonah chapter 1, starting at verse 11 through to chapter 2, and you can find it on page 573 of the Pew Bibles. Jonah chapter 1, verse 11. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, What should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. And now the second reading, 2 Corinthians chapter 1 starting at verse 8, page 935. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death, But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God, who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us again. On him we have set our hope, and he will continue to deliver us, as you help us by your prayers. Then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted us in answer to the prayers of many. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Those may not know me. My name is Rob Forsyth. I'm one of the team here and with particular responsibility for the AM services at St Philip's. So it's great to be here with you. Let's pray. 
Lord, may your word live in us and bear much fruit to your glory. Amen. I know our Sunday sermon series has jumped about a bit lately. We had Craig Tudman on 1 Peter 1, then Justin Moffat on most of Jonah, then Craig again on 1 Peter 2, then last Sunday Steve McAlpine on Daniel 6, and next week Craig returns with a last go at 1 Peter 3 and 4. Meanwhile, this week, I'm going to complete our series on Minor Prophets with one more sermon on Jonah. Don't ask me why, guys. Just the way it works, okay? This is Churchill Anglican. Don't worry about it. Now, when, when Justin spoke to us from the book of the prophet Jonah some weeks ago, he deliberately skipped over one important chapter. And I want to take you to that now. It's chapter 2, Jonah, page 754 of the Church Bibles. I've called this sermon, Saved from Death. And a bit, a bit of a trigger warning, you, we will be faced with some of the grim picture the, the, the grim biblical picture of death when considered in itself. Although we too will have our spirits lifted, we meet the God who raises the dead. Let's begin. The book of Jonah is unlike any of the other prophets in that it consists entirely of a story about Jonah rather than with the others, the words of the prophet that God gave in respect to others. Although we do hear from Jonah... There's that rather grumpy dialogue with the Lord in chapter 4. And here in chapter 2, we find Jonah speaking words of thanksgiving to the Lord. It's very much like a, a psalm of thanksgiving. And its theme is given in Jonah's opening words, Jonah 2, point, verse 2. In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help. And you listen to my cry. In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help. And you listen to my cry. Jonah has been rescued from death itself. The NIV translation, deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, is more literally, from the belly of Sheol, I called for help. Sheol is the Hebrew Old Testament word for the place of the dead. That's where Jonah had called upon the Lord from, and that's where the Lord had rescued him. In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From deep in the realms of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. What had happened was this. The Lord had commissioned Jonah to go to the great city of Nineveh, the capital of their powerful Assyrian empire, and proclaim God's judgment on it. Because, as the Lord says, quote, their wickedness has come up to me, unquote. But for reasons we're not told, at least not yet, instead of going and announcing the Lord's sentence of doom on Nineveh, Jonah boards a ship and goes the exact opposite direction. It is a fateful decision. In response, the Lord sends a violent storm onto the sea. The tempest is so bad that Jonah's ship is in danger of breaking up and founding. The sailors panic, throwing cargo overboard and calling upon their various gods. By divination, they discover the calamity is due to the fact that Jonah is on board. He, by the way, 
proudly tells them, that quote, that due to the fact he's a Hebrew, he worships, and I quote, the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Even though we told them earlier, he was fleeing from him. <laughs> Terrified, they asked Jonah what to do. The only way to, to make the sea calm will be to throw him overboard into it, he tells them. They try to row to land, but eventually give up. Asking the Lord not to condemn them for killing an innocent man, they finally throw Jonah into the raging sea and what looks like <clears throat> certain death. It isn't. Astoundingly, Jonah is rescued from death and in a most unusual way. Chapter 1, verse 17. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And it's from within that huge fish that Jonah prays to the Lord his God. In my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me from deep. In the realm of the dead, I called for help and you listened to my cry. Jonah's psalm of thanksgiving rehearses his near-death experience. And as we listen to him, we'll hear, I want you to listen to how death is pictured here. <clears throat> One thing I want to emphasize in this talk is how different the biblical picture of death is from the typical sentimental denials of the awful reality of death in our culture today. First, Jonah describes his terrible predicament. Verse 3, you hurled me to the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and currents swirl about me. All your waters, all your waves and breakers swept over me. End of quote. It's a terrifying experience of drowning, both literal and metaphorical. The image of being overwhelmed by water is often used in the Psalms to picture helpless distress and the dangers of death. Psalm 88 verse 7. Your wrath lies heavily on me. You have overwhelmed me with all your waves. Or Psalm 69 verses 14 and 15. Rescue me from the mire. Do not let me sink. Deliver me from those who hate me from the deep waters. Do not let the flood gurgle, the flood waters engulf me or the depths swallow me up or the pit close its mouth over me. That was Jonah's experience. Now, our culture, unthinkingly, I think, often talks of death as going to be with God, meet your maker. Not the Bible. Not the Bible. The worst thing about death, considered in itself, is that it removes you from God. Hear Jonah's words in verse 4. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again towards your holy temple. In fact, some scholars think the word translated yet should be with one little, one little tiny little um, letter change, pr should probably have been the word how. This is how the new RSV renders verse 4. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight. How shall I look again at your holy temple? Other Psalms picture death in the same way. Psalm 88, verse 5. I'm set apart, apart with the dead, like the slain who lie in the grave, whom you remember no more and are cut off from your care. 
Remember, I'm talking about death considered in itself. But there's more. In verses 5 and 6, Jonah describes dying like being trapped helpless. Again, we have both a literal description of drowning and a metaphorical image of death. Verse 5, the engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath me barred me in forever. That last sentence is even more vividly rendered in the NRSV. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. The gates of Sheol shut forever upon him. Now, that's the biblical view of death considered in itself. None of that, I am not here, I did not sleep. I am a thousand winds that blow. I am the diamond glitz on the snow. I am the sunlight on the ripened grain, blah, 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 blah. Do not stand at my grave and cry, I am not there, I did not die. Or worse, death is nothing at all. It does not count. I've only slipped into the next room. Nothing happened, etc., etc., etc. I've heard both of those seriously read at Christian funerals, when in fact they're words of denial and lie. They're lies and denial. Jonah's message is not that death is nothing at all, but as he says in verse 16, to the roots of the mountains I sank down, the earth beneath barred me in forever, but you, Lord God, brought my life up from the pit. That's Jonah's message. The, to the roots of the mountains I sank down, the earth beneath me barred me in forever, but you, Lord my God, brought up my life from the pit. The biblical view of death is that it is a terrible enemy of life, but that God raises the dead. Not that death is nothing at all. The biblical view is that death is a terrible enemy, but that God rescues from death, not that death is nothing at all. Jonah is rescued, and so he is full of the praise of the God who rescued him from death. Reading from verse 7. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord. My prayer rose to you in your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you what I vowed I will make good. I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. In the face of death, salvation comes from the Lord. Although, as Justin showed us three weeks ago, the irony is this, that Jonah becomes very angry when, having finally gone and make his proclamation of doom to Nineveh, the Lord then relents from his promised destruction in response to the prayers of the people of the city. Salvation comes from the Lord is something Jonah relishes when it concerns himself, but abhors when it involves the inhabitants of Nineveh. He receives grace but will not give it. And the book of Jonah is written to challenge such a warped attitude. Although that's not our point this morning. In chapter 2, our point is the God who rescues us from death. I want to concentrate upon that. Well, let's take it up a notch, shall we? Turn to the New Testament. What do we find? We find the emphasis upon God who raises the dead is so predominant 
you could almost say it's a new name for God. Let me show you what I mean. A few quotes. Romans 4.17. In the presence of the God in whom he, that's Abraham, believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into being that which does not exist. Romans 4.24. It will be reckoned to us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. Romans 8.11. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies through the spirit that dwells in you. And our second reading where Paul has this incredibly disastrous experience in, uh, in the province of Asia, in Ephesus, I suspect, describe what it was like. He says, indeed, he says, we felt we'd receive the sentence of death so that we would rely not upon ourselves, but God who raises the dead. Galatians 1, 1. Paul an apostle, neither by human commission nor human authorities, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. And finally, Colossians 2.12. You were buried with him in baptism. You also raised with him through faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead. The reason that God is described this way is because of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And at the centre of that is what? What is at the centre of the gospel? 2 Timothy 2.8. Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, a descendant of David, this is my gospel. Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, a descendant of David, that's the gospel, says Paul in 2 Timothy 8. Or Romans 1, verse 3 and 4. He says, the gospel, he says, concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh, declared to be son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection of the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. And in Romans 10, 9, Paul talks about saving faith. What is saving faith? I quote, if you believe with your lips, confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And I could go on with every proclamation of the gospel in the Acts of the Apostles, each one which is uniformly resurrection focused. That's how central the resurrection of Jesus from the dead is in the New Testament. I may add that next year we intend to spend six weeks from this in the season of Easter, that is Sunday after Easter Day through to Sunday after the Ascension, late April, early May, exploring the rich and varied teaching of the New Testament about resurrection as part of our 2023 theme, which will be hope. So come back for that. For today, though, I just want to make three points about the resurrection of Jesus and then a couple of following things that follow on. One, the raising of Jesus from the dead is on a completely different plane to that of Jonah. Completely different plane to Jonah. Jonah was raised, stored back to normal life. Normal life. Not so Jesus. Romans 6 verse 9. We know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. Right? That's not Jonah. 
but the Lord Jesus Christ cannot die again. Death has no more mastery over him. A whole new level of existence, a whole new creation. Second point, Jesus' purpose is to build a community that will share his resurrection, a community that will share his resurrection. When Peter acknowledged that Jesus was in fact the Messiah, the son of the living God, in Matthew 16, 18, Jesus replies, and I tell you, you are Peter. On this rock, I'll build my church. The word means gathering, assembly. And the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Hades is the Greek language equivalent of she of the Hebrew word Sheol. The gates of Hades will not overcome this community is the same as saying the gate of Sheol will not overcome it. They are the gates we met in Jonah, chapter 2, verse 6. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. The bars, those bars of death will not prevail against Jesus' community, the church of the Messiah, the Son of the living God, the one who was raised from the dead. So the great hope of the Christian believer is not that they will not die, but that, in the striking words of Paul in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4, we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. The one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead, there's that description of God again, another one, will raise us, that's in the future, with Jesus, that's in the past. The one who raised Jesus from the dead, it's already happened, will raise us with Jesus. You get that? He shares his resurrection, in other words. And that's not all, three. And they'll find, we'll explore all this much more next year in our series. Death itself will be dethroned. Death itself will be dethroned by the Lordship of Jesus. I quote from 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 28. Then will come the end when the Christ hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. He must reign, from Psalm 110, he must reign until all his enemies are dethroned. And the last enemy that, got, that he will dethrone is death. Death itself will be dethroned by the Lordship of Jesus. Those three points again. Jesus' resurrection brings him out of death's mastery, completely unlike Jonah. Death's, Jesus' purpose is to build a community that will share his resurrection. Three, in the end, death itself will be dethroned by the Lordship of Jesus. Well, where does that leave us? Well, there's one other question that might be in your mind. We might ask, what does this mean for the death of a believer who dies before the resurrection of the dead, before we are raised with Jesus? What is the state of those who have died and are waiting, as it were? Surprisingly, the New Testament has little to say 
on what happens when we die. And with one possible exception, everything it does say is said, as it were, in passing. There's no direct teaching at all about it. For me, the two most significant passages that about this are 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 6 and following, and Philippians 1 and verse 21 and following. Both passages describe the faithful dead simply as being with the Lord or with Christ. With the Lord or with Christ, and in both cases, this is regarded as a preferable state than being alive now. That's the two points. I'll give them to you. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 6 and 8 to 8. Paul says, therefore, we are confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we're away from the Lord. For we live by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Oh, the Lord. We prefer that. We're now in the body, but he's, he's, he's at the right hand of the Father, in his body, that means, that is. But we'd rather be away from our body and at home with the Lord. That's pre-resurrection, you see. We prefer that, says Paul. And the same preference comes in Philippians 1, 21 to 23. Again, again, Paul is just speaking personally, but we get the point. He says, for, for to me, he says, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm to go on living in the, in the body, it will mean fruitful labour for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. Again, departing the body with Christ. So with the, those who die in the faith of, the, of, of Christ die uh, with the Lord. They are with Christ, away from their bodies. That's about all we can say. And whatever that is like, Paul at least thought it was better by far. I know we've come a long way from the huge fish. And yet, like Jonah, our only hope in the face of the sure reality of our death is the God who rescues from death. We are most helpless facing our own death. It's the point of complete and utter vulnerability. I remember many years ago, a friend of mine's father died and he'd come to base and I, he cleaned up the place. He said, I found two of his socks under the bed. I thought, poor man, he couldn't even pick his socks up. He just, just left like that. We're the most vulnerable in death. And I've been really struck by a phrase in a book I saw in the bookstore by Tim Keller called De On Death. When he said this, I quote, everything in life is temporary except God's love. Everything in life is temporary except God's love. To which I could add, the love of the God who raises the dead, rescues from death. I want to conclude with a poem about, a poem about death. It's from the early 17th century poet and Dean of St. Paul's London, John Donne. It's printed in very small italics in the order of service. In this poem, John Donne kind of is out there mocking death. See, normally death mocks us. 
Death is the great mocker of all our pretensions, right? Death brings us to nothing, so it seems. But no, Dunn mocks death in the name of the gospel. I'm going to read it to you. And look out for the punchline at the end. Death, be not proud, though some have called thee mighty and dreadful, for thou art not so. For thou whom thou thinkst thou dost overthrow, die not, poor death, nor canst thou kill me. From sleep and rest, which but thy pictures be, much pleasure. Then from thee much more must flow, and soonest our best men with thee do go, rest of their bones and soul's delivery. Thou art slave to fate, chance, kings and desperate men, and dost with poison, war, and sickness dwell. And poppy or charms can make us sleep as well, and better than thy stroke, why swell'st thou then? One short sleep past, we wake eternally, and death shall be no more. Death, thou shalt die.